The end times prophecies leave no doubt in my mind, in our minds, that Western civilization, also called Constantinian Christianity by Brother Howard, is going to collapse. And the purpose it has served of exerting the rod of iron and being a safe place in the wilderness on varying levels is going to be done at some point when it collapses. And, and when it does collapse, that is not the end. That is the end of one phase in culture and it is the beginning of another. It is the beginning of the Antichrist phase and it is the beginning of the final revelation of the church phase. And I believe that what the church is now, worldwide, as powerful as it is, it does not fulfill the Old or New Testament prophecies that describe its mission, its impact, and its power. It simply does not. The mountain of Yahweh's house is not exalted above all the mountains because it's not even distinguishable from all the mountains. They're not streaming. Kings of the earth are not streaming and saying, teach us your ways. Because they don't have a way that is distinct from the other ways. It is a Babylonian mixture. And we can point to anomalies. We can point to pockets. We can look at the 500,000 Anabaptists in this country. And we can say, these are a people who live their convictions. They are perhaps the only group of Christians whose entire lifestyle is altered and defined by their faith. You can brand them, see them in the way they shop, in the way they make their living, in the way they conduct their business, in the way they train their children, in the way they dress. Everything about them says my lifestyle is my faith. My faith is my lifestyle, right? And yet the Anabaptists, while having all of that reality on a certain measure, they are unique for being the most disunified, fragmented group in all of Christendom. They will split every 120 people and create a new Ordnung and disfellowship you because you've got a white cap on your buggy and I've got a black cap. Or your suspenders are supposed to split two inches higher in the middle of your back. And because they don't, I'm going to disfellowship you. I'm not joking. These are actual things that they do. Because they have hardened their hearts to the Holy Spirit, God has hidden from them the power that could be theirs, which should only be theirs through the Spirit. What is that power? It is the power of unity. If, if they were one unified church, if they had the unity that we have in these fellowships around the world, I'm telling you, they would change the world. When, when a group of that many people agree as one, they have an impact, but their impact is completely diffuse or way too diffuse because of their disunity. And their disunity is because they will not submit to the Holy Spirit. A veil lies over their hearts. So now we can look at the Pentecostals and we can say, but Lord, they have received the Spirit. Yes, 
And they, like to, to some degree, like the evangelicals, Charismat the charismatic movement has made faith completely metaphysical, completely internal. It has no impact on their life. So they are, they are internal Christians, but they are not living like the Anabaptists are, their faith. So the Anabaptists have the lifestyle, but they don't have the spirit. The Pentecostals have the spirit, but they don't have the lifestyle. They don't have the commitment. They don't have the separation from the world. So then we can look at other examples and they're like, well, they've, got, they've really got unity and they don't have the lifestyle or the spirit. So just skip over them. <laughs> Amen. But there's just not an example. There's just not an example as is supposed to be. And the reason is, is because the Babylonian mixture is still comfortable enough. It's still working okay. Now, we would say, no, it doesn't work. Look what's happening to the youth. Look at the numbers of denominal churches. There are more Amish in America today than there are Lutherans. Did you know that? They're failing. They're going extinct. It's not working. So we say, so why aren't people coming out? Why don't more people feel? That's not when they come out. They come out when Pharaoh doubles their workload and multiplies their troubles. And so I said, what is good for the church is bad for the world, and what is bad for the world is often good for the church because it's tearing down a belief system, a trust system that is false, and one of these days, they're going to no longer turn to the one who struck them, but they're going to turn to the one who died for them. So the church is not ready, but when Western civilization collapses, the church is going to be ready. And I believe that the shifts that we have seen take place, even among the recent administrations and the COVID pandemic in America, are signs and wonders and shifts completely. If you think of left and right in America, you could almost think of it as Judah and Samaria. And Samaria, they've always been off the cliff. They've always had antichrist at their head. They've always envisioned man as a savior God for all the problems of the world. But something has changed in the last 10 years. Something has changed since 2016. Christians have said to the bramble, rule over us. And so the change has occurred both on the right and on the left. Because while, while Judah is misbehaving on a level it's never done before, and not even catching up to the debauchery of, of Samaria, Samaria is triggered by this, and it's reaching new levels of evil never done before. And together, I feel that the pillar holding up the system, which is some belief in fair justice, that pillar is fractured a hundred times and is about to collapse. And it doesn't matter to me whether it collapses before or after November of 2024. That is not the point. It has been permanently undermined. And I believe that this shift that I'm talking about may even be tied to why there was a pandemic in 2020. I believe somebody says, well, that doesn't make sense to me. So-and-so was more evil than so-and-so. That's not how God looks at these things. Nineveh was not a good nation. It was not a decent people, right? But it crossed a level of apostasy that was bringing instant judgment.
And only when it stepped back did it avert that inevitable judgment. In the same way, we can see Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon is not a righteous nation. It is not part of the covenant of salvation. But Nebuchadnezzar crosses a degree of hubris, a degree of antichrist pride. And some judgment comes that then is averted as he steps back. And then we can see that Belshazzar crosses a degree of transgression and taking the articles of the temple of pride, rebellion, uh, apostasy, whatever you want to call it. And the judgment of God falls. And doesn't mean Darius was a good man. Doesn't mean God had rubber stamped Persia. It just means there are degrees that put you in a category of coming judgment and degrees that put you in a category of judgment that is here. Do you understand? So I don't rule out that these shifts that have happened politically and culturally and spiritually are tied to the events that we are facing, like COVID, like changes in, in the geopolitical landscape, and so on and so forth. I believe God holds those things at bay. And I, I believe that we must still pray, like Abraham, and intercede even on behalf of Sodom. This nation is certainly not Sodom. We're not t down to, to 10 people. We're not down to 10,000 people. We're, we're not down to 10 million, maybe. But things are changing and the pillar is coming down. And when the pillar comes down, we're going to start the final descent into the collapse. And when it collapses, two things are gonna happen, among others. One is just like the collapse of Europe through the plague, you know, there would have been no enlightenment. There would have been no renaissance apart from the plague. But the plague made people doubt the expression of God they had come to know through the church. And it had a major effect on the materialism that then began to multiply throughout Europe in the Enlightenment and in the Renaissance leading into the Enlightenment and so on and so forth, culminating in some ways in the French Enlightenment. So collapses have a way of doing that. Tragedy has a way of doing that. And we're going to see that all of these non-remnant believers, they're going to be washed out. Only the remnant is going to remain. It's not going to be this big crowd of Christians, but only the percentage is going to go with the Lord. It's not going to be a big crowd of Christians. The crowd is going to be the remnant. <laughs> and the Lord will be do a sifting process, but there's going to be a weeding that, that happens and they're just going to give up. And they're going to blame. If the right is part of the collapse, they're going to blame Christians for part of what happened. They're going to blame nationalistic right-wingers like they are right now for January 6th. And because they're blind, they're going to do things like Israel often did that only made matters worse. Like when he gouged out the eyes of King Jehoiakim and his sons because they would not submit to the yoke of political domination that God had decreed on them. Do you understand? So there's, we're, we're going to see a big change. Christianity is going to take a big hit, and that's a great thing. That is a fabulous thing. And statism is going to get a restart. And we don't know, we don't have any clue 
what that really looks like. We imagine that we already live in a post-Christian culture, and that is baloney. We, we live in a culture where aspects are already post-Christian, but the influence of Christendom on the legal system, on the economic system, on the social fabric of this nation cannot be underestimated. It is still a very powerful influence in this culture, and even in Europe, it's still there because they would effect have to do a hard restart and go back to the beginning under totally different premises and get Moses and Jesus out of the picture. And that's what we're going to start on. I don't know that people are even going to look at democracy like we look at it today. I, I truly don't because what democracy is, is a way to safeguard against the danger of impious power. But when man has made a god of his corporate intelligence in the form of artificial intelligence, there will be a level of trust that we have not seen toward government, but which we have already accustomed ourselves regarding expertise and science. So the adulation and trust that we give to medicine and science as a category will now belong to government. Populations may likely find voting for their government as silly as voting for their doctor. They're going to act like it's simply a matter of truth and the trustworthiness of individuals has been completely solved by the intelligence of artificial intelligence of the corporate mind. So I, I believe the day is going to come when our crimes are adjudicated by AI, when our medicine is administered by AI, where hard decisions and wars are conducted by AI. I, I truly do. I, I don't think that that's crazy. I think that's absolutely inevitable. And that's going to be the basis for the new order that replaces the, the, the various uh, states and empires that we know today. And it won't all happen at once, but there will be massive contractions where it happens regionally and in swaths at the same time. Does that make sense? And I believe that when this happens, the remnant is going to wake up. They are not going to sleep. You say, but I think 90%. Well, you're describing those who are not the remnant. They're not saved, and they're not going to be saved. But there are 10% or more maybe 20, I don't know. There is a contingent of Christianity. They will not go along with it. They would rather die. And the only reason they have capitulated thus far is because it's mystery, Babylon. And if they saw their complicity now, they wouldn't be complicit. They're complicit because they're blind. That's what Revelation teaches us. And when the blindness is stripped away and they see what was behind the mask all along, they're going to opt out. And I believe that the tribulations of these times are going to pulverize both the stupidity and the hubris and autonomy that has made unity a completely unattainable ideal in Christianity. I believe coming out of the Holocaust was the only way the Jews were going to find the unity to rebuild a nation.
and I believe coming out of the horror of what man's mind does is going to completely change the calculus of Christian consideration. And we will see unity become possible as we have only seen hitherto among those who have individually been so pulverized by sin or the world. And when, when that remnant says, I'm ready for a restart, there needs to be a plan. There needs to be a Joseph people, a Moses people, who have worked out the plan. This may take decades, but we owe it to Jesus. We owe it to our grandchildren. We owe it to the future to have a plan and a place. We are the Zionist camp when the war has not even started. And we are starting these Zionist camps everywhere among those who have completely lost faith in the tyranny of self-will and are willing to come under the yoke of true unity in Jesus. Don't you feel the Holy Ghost? Now, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. And I am foolish, but Paul said, tolerate my folly. So I ask you to do the same. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but you imagine a time of upheaval if not in the whole world, in much of the world, and then you imagine somebody saying, we think of ourselves as what we are now, but God sees what he's calling the church to be. And there are many thousands who are going to bring things to us that we need, and we don't even know who they are yet. Amen? He's going to do a quick work. We've added nine churches in 10 years to this congregation. You say, well, that's still pretty slow, but look at the exponent. God told us in 2013 that small keys open big doors and we should step out. Nine years later, 10 years later in 2023, God's added nine congregations around the world. We've gone from three to 12, like that. We are getting ready. God is doing it. God is doing it, and we can't think Based on what our eyes see, we have to look through the lens of prophecy and believe with the eyes of faith. Amen? So you imagine Christians, you imagine the remnant hearing something like this. Everybody going to permit a little folly from me? Don't go and say, I said, thus saith the Lord. Okay? But imagine something like this. Imagine in 30 years, a remnant starting to hear about these Quasi-reservations. Maybe there's one in Madagascar, and maybe there's one in India, and one in Thailand, and one in three in South America, and one in Canada, and multiple ones in where Christians are coming together on 800,000 acres, 400,000, who knows how much. And they are saying, the only power we will exert is the power of exile of the gate, but we are going to have these standards regarding business, these standards regarding schooling, these standards regarding caring for those among us, these standards regarding honesty, these standards regarding ethics, and there would be varying levels. There would be covenant members who had a voice in decisions, and there would be affiliate members who were in process or just Christians of sufficient integrity and character. 
Let's imagine that there were six million people in places like this, maybe in a dozen, in three dozen places like this around the world. What would that be? What would that be? With even the fruit that we have attained, which is not enough, what would that be? This is what could be different about the schooling of your children. This is what could be different about your health care. This is what could be different about your food security. This is what could be different about your entertainment. This is what could be different about your culture. The remnant would look at that like the covered wagon travelers looked at Oregon country. They would get in their wagons and go. They would say, there is no place for me in this world. Pharaoh has driven me out. Let me find a place among my brothers. They are going to come to you from east and west. They're going to come on their camel trains. And the mountain of Yahweh's house is going to be exalted. And it's not going to be another organization. And it's not going to be a political nation. It's going to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We'll let the host nation take a flat tax and negotiate all the political garbage that we don't have to be involved in. But we'll say to those host nations... We're going to bring food security to your nation. We're going to bring employment. We're going to bring jobs. We're going to bring, we're going to bring decent people. We're going to bring tourism if you give us this spot. You see, I'm just being foolish. I told you that. And you can laugh at me. But I'm willing to be foolish in order to get you to make your mind go burp, burp. And if your mind's burping, I'm happy. <laughs> You've got to see this bigger then we've imagined, when I say bigger, I don't mean numbers. That's not the point. We just have to envision something that can fulfill what was anticipated in these prophecies. Hallelujah. And I believe we are one of, if not the, Zionist camp. And God has made of us 12. Let's see what it's going to be in 10 more years. We're already outpacing our readiness, our ability. But look how God is bringing to us gifts. Look at the gifts that we have among us now that we didn't have in 2013. There are a lot of people, including whole churches that weren't even here in 2013, but even in this room. And there are congregations around the world who could, who would, the entire congregation would raise their hand. You see, God's given us a lot and he's going to bring these networks and this alliance with the body of Christ. Amen. Send us the bruised, Lord. Send us the disaffected. Remember those who came to David, who went to him up in the mountains, in the caves, who were disaffected, who were bruised, who had already been shattered. Send us those whom life and the world and sin has prematurely put through the persecution individually and we will link arms and walk under the yoke of Yahweh. Amen. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen. And who are we? We're Joseph. And when are we living? We are not living in the years of trouble. We are living in the years of plenty. But we need to anticipate what is coming. And we need to have the patterns in place. We need to solve the problems, streamline the solutions. We need to 
stretch out the tent pegs of our dwelling. Hallelujah. This is what God has called us to. Has God called us to a great salvation? You see, I, 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 I said Sunday that people, people imagine that, you know, that the post-millennials say, oh, it's supposed to be a political kingdom. No, it's not a political kingdom. And so others throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, oh, it's supposed to be only a metaphysical uh, heavenly kingdom. No, he will bring under one head things in heaven and things on earth. I said in the broadcast, the antecedent to tyranny is often wrong kind of unity among the world. But it is also the precursor to salvation among the church. What God feared at Babylon, he blessed at Pentecost. <laughs> Amen. And Lord, we're almost there. We're so close. We already have the groundwork. It's, it's almost there. Please don't let it fracture, Jesus. Help us to know what makes for our peace. Don't weep over this city and say, if you had known, if you, even you had known what made for your peace. Instead, show us what makes for it. Oh, we know what makes for it. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. What makes for it is an ability to submit to the authority of God. And that's not possible until the tyranny of self-will has collapsed. 